Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, hello, Scott. Welcome to the Arate podcast. We're actually recording this four days before Christmas, and I'm sure uh, you and I would be much rather lying on the beach having a great time. But here we are doing a podcast uh, whilst we're both still working. So, Scott, just to start off with, why don't you tell us uh, about your current professional responsibilities? Yes, good morning, Richard. Yes, definitely. Um, that time of year, we prefer to be on the beach rather than still in the office, but, <laughs> but here we are. But uh, thanks for having me on the show. And um, yeah, I work for a company called Werner Co. And um, it's a global company. And globally, we manufacture and distribute products in the height safety and, and worksite security um, type avenues all around the world. But my direct responsibility is Asia Pacific. So that includes Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Indonesia, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Japan. Uh, we have distribution all through those areas, and but in Australia we're we're more well known for Bailey ladders and Bailey floor protection, which people have probably seen out and about on work sites and what. But uh, yeah, it's uh, been with these guys for just over nine years now, and it's it's been a progressive um, journey for me, and it's been quite exciting actually. And, and tell us, uh, how big is your remit in terms of headcount across all of those areas? We, so we probably have about 40 staff in, in various countries all around, but we, we also, we, we have a model down here where we partner with people. Like, like for instance, we have a, um, a joint partnership with um, Linfox to do all our warehousing all around Australia. So they're not direct okay. staff, third party. Also, all the merchandisers that do uh, in Bunnings and, and things like that, you know, that could be 30 to 40 people, but we, we use a, a third-party team and also mm-hmm. we have great people all around Australia uh, selling our products as well that we, we utilise for a third-party arrangement. So it's a lot bigger than just the, the 40 direct staff that we have. Sure. And where's your uh, manufacturing done? Uh, manufacturing done in various points throughout China mm-hmm. um, and Vietnam, actually, so... Yeah. Okay. And so uh, I imagine uh, this year has been a particularly interesting one for you with Corona lockdowns and so on. How has that affected the business broadly? It's It's been a crazy year. And I, I know we don't need to tell anybody that, but um, I guess in March, April, we're, we're all forecasting downturns. Then we all rushed to change our forecast for, for upturn. Mm-hmm. And um, the biggest challenge for us has been getting not manufacturing but it's actually getting products into containers and onto ships it's uh there's still delays to this day at at many australian ports and trying to get containers Mm -hmm. out of china so that um i'm out of stock of many products so my sales are are up significantly this year versus other years but we still cannot get enough product to serve the market it's just been a crazy year a lot of uh, CEOs of businesses are facing a, a similar challenge. So what do you think has driven uh, the upturn in demand? That's a very good question. It, it's, um, you know, in a year where everybody was worried about um, putting in layoffs and things like that, it, it's just uh, it's just been a year where, where things have taken off. Now, a lot of our products are, 
primarily used by tradies, right? Um, Tradies buying ladders, buying floor protection, all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And I think what what has happened is a lot of people have stayed at home. Um, It's actually increased our DIY Mm -hmm. sales, which is good through through Bunnings and and those type and and Mitre 10 and all those type of customers. Mm -hmm. But also um, people are... Tradies, I'm talking to people are spending a bit of money on on renovations and things like that. So that's mm-hmm. driving that side of the business as well, which is mm-hmm. which is benefiting us. Yeah, I think it, it, you're right in that people have been staying at home, so they've uh, uh, those niggly things that they knew yeah. that they should fix. They're finally getting around to it, and also, I mean, people aren't going away overseas for holidays, uh, so uh, they've got uh, some um, uh, cash that they would have normally spent uh, yeah. in t- to instead spend on uh, renovating their house. Certainly, my wife is uh, spending my money uh, faster than I can earn it. Uh, every, yes, time well, I, every, every time I turn my head, there's a new tradie walking through. <laughs> What's this one here for? Oh, are we having the outside of the house painted again? Oh, good. Uh, yeah, oh, that's really interesting. Well, look, let's uh, talk more about that a bit later. But, Scott, sure. um, uh, you know, largely the audience of this podcast are people who are really interested in hearing those who have walked the path before them to become managing directors or chairman of boards and so on. So why don't we go back a little bit in time to where it all began for you? Whereabouts uh, were you born, Scott? Uh, yeah, I was born in Brisbane, but I, I grew up in Ipswich, actually. So okay. I, uh, I went to all my schooling years was in Ipswich and I went to a private school in Ipswich. Yeah. Um, grew up in a very blue collar family. My father okay. was a, a tradie, a panel beater, actually. And mm-hmm. my mum worked in administration for RACQ for many years. Okay. And yeah, I kind of did all that. And by the, my, I guess my journey to date has been a lot less traditional than others. It, mm-hmm. um, towards the end of high school, my, my passion for golf outweighed my passion for education. So right. I was spending just about from about 15 onwards every weekend on the golf course because I just loved it. And I didn't do that well at school, but the time I left school, my parents said, you need to stand on your own two feet by now mm-hmm. and, and do something. So I got a sales cadetship with uh, Repco Auto Parts, actually, straight okay. out of high school. Um, and I was very lucky because I, I ended up working with a fantastic branch manager that taught me a lot about uh, dealing with customers, dealing with people, just generally how to run a business. Mm-hmm. And um, so I worked with them for, for about seven years. And then I had this kind of earning to, to go overseas and, and travel at, by the time I hit my kind of early early to mid-20s and um, went over to Whistler and worked as a lifty there and... Uh, for, for a season and mm-hmm. travelled around Canada for a year. And um, I guess then I, I really started to look at my myself and where I wanted to go to in life. And uh, I come back from travelling around. Uh, I did university, did a Bachelor of Business Management, I majored in marketing because I always had that sales background. So that progression going through to marketing seemed, seemed fairly natural. And when I was getting towards the end of my, my mark, uh, that um, degree, I met a guy at a barbecue from a wife that um, was a general manager of sales and, and he probably gave me an offer that to this day has really kickstarted me and he said, look, we're looking for younger people to come in. How about we put you on as a, as a sales rep while you finish your career? You only expect 20 to 25 hours out here, but we'll give you a car. So that's gold when you're a university student. Right? Yeah, for sure. And um, I said, yeah, no problem. So kind of did that and we finished uni. I got married at that point, married my wife, mm-hmm. obviously, and and then 
out of the blue, she's a school teacher. She got offered a job in the US. Okay. So, how does, um, it, how does a school teacher get offered a? It, was it a teaching job or? Yeah, yeah, it was a teaching job. So, okay. We, we were just married. We didn't have children, obviously. And this advertisement came up that there is a a teaching this company that brought teachers to the US because they were in desperate need of, of teachers. And the, the thing is, you could choose different areas, but you you probably weren't going to work in one of the the higher echelon type areas of the, of the states, but we, my wife and I both love to ski. So we're lucky enough. We put in Denver, Colorado. So right. we, she ended up working in one of the, the poorer neighborhoods in Denver, but for her, it ended up being a real, a real kind of eye opener, a real right. exciting part of her career actually. But um, the only problem was I, I got over there and had all these great aspirations of getting this great job in the U S and then, Two planes flew into buildings and right. 11. That kind of changed all that and put my visa off for about uh, six months. So, right. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, Denver, Colorado, that's where Mork and Mindy were from, were they? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Boulder, I think, actually. Even, oh, Boulder, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. University. Right. So, she went over there to teach. You were hoping to pick up a job. And oh. then and then uh, 9 11 came along and that kind of ended that aspiration. It, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate because I've always had this. When I was younger, I, I really wanted to get into sports marketing and things like that. And okay. I was talking to people at the, the Denver Broncos, the, the Colorado Avalanche, the Denver Nuggets, and they're like, right. yeah, we'd love to talk to you kind of thing. And then two planes hit and it's like, sorry, Scott, everything's off. But right. um, look, six months after that, it, uh, I got a job in um, in their events team with Marriott Hotels, actually. Okay. So in the meantime, your wife's working and you're just hanging out. I'm skiing. <laughs> yeah. oh, that sounds terrible. It was um, to this day. She she doesn't. Um, you know, she kind of reminds me that I have that really nice, colourful period where I could ski and she was going to work. But right. But, um, of course, reality hit that we had to keep paying rent and some funds had run out. So yeah, I uh, was just skiing and kind of looking after the house, I suppose, until okay. I got the job with Marriott. So yeah. All right. So off to the Marriott. What were you doing there? Um, I was in their events marketing team, so we were doing all events for the hotel and everything like that. And um, I stayed with them for a good two and a half years, what well, till our visa ran out. And the high point there was um, actually George Bush Jr. did a uh, press conference when he was president of the US from that hotel. Okay. And uh, what an experience working with the Secret Service and things like that to, right. to get the hotel set up and and. Um, watching come through for the day. So, yeah, that was the highlight of that, that period of my life. And so how long were you in the States for in total? Uh, three years. Three okay. Years. Yeah. And then back to reality. Back to reality. I, we had to come back to Australia. Um, my father had a business by then that was growing quite quickly. And um, he asked, he was in partnership with somebody, but asked could I come in and just help build a bit of structure around it and help kind of... Um, um, I guess, yeah, build structure around the growth and how they can better manage the growth of the business. And was that Tadas? That was Tadas, yeah. Right. And what sort of business were they? That was an automotive repair business that also did car detailing, mechanics work and things like that. Okay. So I, I'd never done any of that trade. It was really always on the business side of it. And it was always like I was happy to do that, but with an end goal of either selling it or them, him and his partner uh, his partner stayed in the business, but him and his partner resuming the business or something like that. But after three years, we got to a stage and, and the partner said, look, I'm happy to buy you guys out and continue on. So my parents were happy. And um, yeah, so that ended that. 
and I got to have another six-month little uh, little holiday after selling that business, so which worked quite well. Okay, and then uh, from there, what happened after that? Um, from there, I, I went on to I wanted to get back into marketing, get my career going in that direction again. So I got a job with, with Hills Industries, which um, ironically were back then the owners of Bailey Ladders and Hills Hoist, of course, and a, a myriad of other products. But um, I was in their marketing team for about I think three or four years, roughly, and um, that they were going through a lot of change towards the end of that period and. Um, the good thing for me, what happened there is I was involved in other global companies that are in the same product range. So we were meeting a couple of times a year in different parts of the world, talking about product strategies, general business strategies. And that really started my passion for understanding strategic growth better and mm-hmm. and, and making that part of my mantra. Mm-hmm. And um, so I made a lot of contacts, but the business in Australia was going nowhere. So I decided to get out and I ended up working for a, a company that was doing um, garden hoses and things like that because I just needed a change but I wasn't with them long because this big American company called Werner who I ironically work for now mm-hmm. said hey we're coming to Australia we want, want you to work for us we want you to start it from scratch so okay. I was employee number one wow um, <laughs> so how, how did you appear on their radar uh, through through these global meetings I'd met them at meetings and um, mm-hmm. met their hierarchy and and obviously, um, I think they were quite impressed with how I presented our plans and things like that for the Australia business. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, in the end, uh, one of those points in time where you get chased for a job rather than you uh, chasing somebody else for a job. So, That's yeah. right. It's always, uh, uh, because I work in the headhunting space, um, mm. I say to my team when they come in, I say, look, at headhunting, you go, oh, I'm a bit worried. What happens if I ring Scott? I say, look, people love to be headhunted. Mm. You know, it's mm. such a... It's so gratifying to think that somebody's paid attention to what you're doing and think you're worth uh, tapping on the shoulder. So that's excellent. And so, um, wow. So you came in and you had a complete greenfield start. Complete greenfield start. We had we literally had one product with one store down in Melbourne, and that that was when Masters, if if you remember, tried yes. to come in as take on Bunnings. Yeah. And Masters had a relationship with the big home. Uh, sorry, with Lowe's in the US, which okay. is the big um, home center to, with them and Home Depot in the US. But um, so, yeah, I had to completely re- rebuild the product range, uh, build a supply chain structure here, uh, set up an office. Um, yeah, do it all from scratch. But at that point, we all know Masters eventually fell over, but mm. we built the business so we weren't so reliant on them. We built them more in the trade area. Mm-hmm. And then the current owners of Bailey Ladders tapped us on the shoulder and said, hey, look, we want to talk seriously about uh, you buying our ladder business out. So, Right. And so what was it initially attracted you to that? Was it the fact that you did have this greenfield opportunity? Because I imagine there'll be a lot of people who go far out, like this, these people aren't here at all. There's a big risk in taking mm. this uh, on. But was it? how did you sort of measure the risk versus the opportunity in your own mind? I think that I, I knew the strength of their brand globally and that they didn't have a presence here. And I, I just, I've always had that entrepreneurial flair. Like I've never done it myself to start my own business, but I've always mm-hmm. loved that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial flair and, and that growth mindset. And I thought this is a time for me to really 
put my money where my mouth is and give it a crack. Mm-hmm. Um, that they were putting some money behind it to be very serious about the APAC mm-hmm. region, but wanted to start in Australia. So I guess um, I had a young family at the time. I guess it all could have fell over, but it was just in your mind, you know, you sometimes just got to go with your gut that it was just a good opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, I really had to give it everything I got. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, even though you'd, uh, you know, you'd had that level of role with your dad's business uh, where you were managing the overall business. I mean, coming into an opportunity like this, what kind of inventory did you do of your skills and go, oh, wow, if I'm going to make a fist of this, um, I've got great marketing experience, but how do I fill the gaps that I know that I need to in order to, to deliver a successful outcome? Yeah, that's a good question. Just reflecting back, I, um, probably about two years in, oh, a year and a half into the Greenfield, I, I went and did my, my master's. I thought that was, I know the master's, an MBA is not the be-all and end-all, but I thought there might be some way of, of learning some improved leadership skills and strategic approaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that was, that was a gap in my, in my learning, so mm-hmm. I did that. Did you find the um, Did you find the MBA delivered on my expectations? Delivered, yeah, yeah. yeah it, not not the whole thing. There were certain. I think when anyone that does an MBA, you get certain professors and things like that 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 you can relate to. That you're going to learn more off than others. Mm-hmm. And uh, I certainly had that with a couple of guys. I remember one of the professors. Of, he, he was quite high up with um, with Sony in in the Asian market. So I learned a lot with. From him, I, I, I recall that. So yeah, I think I did get out of it. You know, but you pay a lot of money for an MBA, but um, yeah, <laughs> yes, it, you do. Uh, and yeah, I guess I always had a lot of belief in myself too, Richard. That mm. I knew that I could build a business and manage people. I'd managed people before, but um, this is my chance to build a business how I want it. And I've never been a person afraid to ask questions. Like I had mm-hmm. a great executive I reported to in the US back then. He's no longer with the company. And he, he would just, you know, my early morning calls, his late afternoon calls, he just bounce ideas off him, what he thought, da, 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 and he had a lot of trust in me to, to kind of go out there and, and, and give it a crack for sure. And so you've been in the business now for about nine years. Mm-hmm. What have been some of the key milestones during that period that, you know, are worth highlighting in terms of the growth of the business? Definitely the, 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 the top highlight is we acquired the Bailey business, but it was a distressed business. Um, mm-hmm. At that point, they still had manufacturing in Australia, but sales were going backwards and they're in a, a, a double-digit negative EBITDA position. And we have completely turned that around. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, one of the... Uh, downfalls of that is that we had to shut down Australian manufacturing and, and take it offshore. Right. But from the business point of view and from the ownership's point of view, it was a, it was a really was the right decision for us at, mm-hmm. at the time. And um, they're, ne- they're never easy, those decisions. We obviously had to let a lot of people go. But um, the market also dictates, you know, some of the decisions we have to make as business people, which isn't always easy. So, um so yeah, we just knew we couldn't be competitive in Australia, so we had to we had to make a, a change, and that, okay. that was the biggest, biggest part of the change. So that, that's been a, a really good thing. And um, what we believe here is is innovation drives the market, and we have been that innovator across many of our product ranges in Australia. We, we're very very strong in New Zealand now, and uh, also in the Indonesian and Singapore markets, we're actually really strong. And 
if I look at the one thing that's done that, it's been innovation that, that's driving that. So, okay, for somebody who uh, can barely hammer in a nail, being there, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, a ladder is a ladder is a ladder. So, so, so how do you take what is a fairly homogenous product, you know, and 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 use innovation as your uh, your core growth strategy? We what we do for Bailey is um, we do what we call the halo effect. So we, we look at what tradies understanding tradies needs and what they want to do on the market. And we believe that flows through to DIYs. Um, so we have spent a fair bit of time of understanding what tradies need to do to be safer and more efficient on the job site. Okay. Um, that, that is something we're, we're very passionate about ensuring people go home safe every day. So it, we've done a lot of work on that and we just make changes to the products to ensure that they are safer and, you know, we have in our skew count, which we have 180 different types of ladders, you know, right. so it's, I know a ladder is a ladder, a ladder, but, you know, different ladders do different things. And mm -hmm. um, even when we launched our, our full protection range with our, with our harnesses and everything, we did a lot of work on understanding what, what the guys wanted to, to have the feel of the harness, because they're wearing these harnesses eight hours, at least probably eight mm -hmm. hours a day. Um, so we did a lot of that. So that's been a part, big part of our success in the full protection range. So, yeah, I guess that's um, it's really understanding your market mm -hmm. and your end user and, and what what drives them to what are their pain points and how you can kind of mm -hmm. fix those pain points for them. Mm -hmm. And how would you describe the way you run the business in Australia versus in your other Asian countries? Certainly in Australia, um, we've set a culture down here where it's all about um, uh, leadership, leadership, honesty and structure. Mm -hmm. we, we really believe that um, one of the things here is, and being part of a growth, that growth mindset is you really have to empower people to let them do the job and do mm -hmm. the best that they can do. So we um, really empower people to take leadership of what they're responsible for and, and, and run with it. And um, ensuring we have the right structure, we have the right um, accountability factors and, and, and data around to help them do the job and, and report back to the business. And, and we have the right structure in place. So we have the right people in the right places to help drive the business. So that, that's been a big part of, of the success of, of realigning that structure here in Australia. And it, there is an automatically flow in the New Zealand market with that sort of structure as well. Right. Um... But I imagine there must be some very strong idiosyncrasies. With, I mean, Japan versus Indonesia versus some mm. of the other countries. Yeah. Um, so sitting here in Brisbane, particularly over the last year or so, when you haven't really been able to travel, it, um, I imagine managing what is a very uh, culturally diverse um, operation must be very challenging. How, do you, uh, how did you learn to do that? You know, and, and what are some of the, the key sort of things that you keep in mind um, when you're dealing with these very varied cultures? Well, one thing that I'm very, very clear of is, um, you know, one culture doesn't fit all. That's for sure. That's, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I have some guys based in Singapore and um, although I haven't been able to meet face to face with them, I have, I have over the years built a very strong relationship with them. It, well, one of the good things about, our companies, we haven't had a lot of turnover in the last mm -hmm. five years of people. So we've been able to build that structure and uh, that um, culture of, of, of kind of success here with through having the same people. 
but I have guys in Singapore um, and in and based out of China that that do a lot of these markets, and it's I guess just what what doesn't change is people want a vision of where they're heading to mm-hmm. and, and how they're going to get there, and all I do is just help them have the tools to to achieve their vision. Um, I don't try and go in there, and it, it, you do need to understand what. Touch points here in Australia for for a person is different to Singapore and China, mm-hmm. and and Japan for that matter. But, By touch um, points, you mean what are they motivated by? Yeah, what motivates them? Um, you know, all that sort of stuff. And culturally, you know, in Japan, you know, I, I have gone and done the the, the naked, uh, you know, forget what they call you know the baths they do over there and things right. like that with customers and and okay. so you you really have to be quite free yourself to right. To, ready to explore things to that that within that culture i thought you i thought you started talking about going to the the karaoke bars oh i I have done that as well and uh, i was was over there uh, a few years ago and these japanese guys out at night with their boss and everybody's dressed exactly the same Mm -hmm. they're all blind drunk Mm -hmm. and uh going to these karaoke bars and then the next day getting on public transport they're all asleep (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah. very, very weird. Well, obviously not weird for them, but, you know, a, a, such a radically different culture. Uh, you watch that movie Lost in Translation and uh, it's really true. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though the place, uh, you know, a lot of those places look very Western. I mean, you walk around Tokyo, it, you could mm. be in Sydney, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Shanghai yeah. is the same. You know? and, so, and so how did you... Um, because you hadn't come from that experience, you know, you'd mm. worked in Australia, you'd skied in the US for a little while, but how, how did you develop your, your competencies to, um, you know, you're obviously doing a great job at it. And as you said, your team is very loyal and, and you've got excellent retention. So you must be a good boss because if you weren't, they'd leave. Right. So yeah, no, yeah. How, how did you, um, is that something that you look to a mentor for, or how did, how did you build those skills? Yeah, I, I, the executive I, when I first came on board, he was he was a guy that had worked in many countries throughout the world. So I guess um, as part of talking to him is is talking through how you would manage people in other countries and things like that. And um, like this this Zoom environment, I, I thought it was strong before, but it's just we had no idea oh, <laughs> how strong sure. it could be. But um, yeah, it's I guess I've always been quite good with dealing with people and understanding people mm. and and having that kind of knack of, you know, I'm, I'm not the type of person that's for myself and go in there and say, like, we need to start doing it this way and that way. I, I really take the time to understand what matters to them and, and what's important to them and just working through through those things with them. And, yeah, I guess those simple things don't change where you go around the world. And, like I said, there's cultural issues and, you know, you've got to be prepared to go for two-hour lunches in China and, you know, you might start a bit later, but you'll end up working until 7 p.m. And then, right. you'll, you know, you might have to – there's those simple things and you might have to eat a bit of turtle and snake along the way. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I guess it's um, it really that, – that's how I did it, I suppose. It's, yeah. Right. So it's just more being true to your own ethics and the way that you like to be treated and treat people. and Yeah. Just- doing more of the same oh that's that's uh because I, I imagine a lot of people would be quite daunted by that oh I, you know you want me to come into a job and manage all these sort of international teams and i you know they might find that very um uh 
mean, it's scary. Yeah, daunting. Uh, oh, yeah, it, it, it would be. And uh, and what, what about on the other side of the coin, Scott? Because uh, you were sort of explaining before we started the recording, um, you work for a company that is owned by private equity. Yep. The private equity is German. German-based company, yeah. Right, but the leadership team that you report to is in the US. Correct. Right. Yep. Okay, so, you know... Um, uh, Talk to us a bit about, you know, how do you manage up well in a, in that kind of environment? Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's challenging. There's certainly no doubt about it. it uh, I, I mean, I have weekly calls with our global CEO about uh, the business and our, our strategy and, and things like that. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it, it, it it's, it makes it more interesting is that he's in the US, but he's actually a, a British guy that runs our company. So right. he's a Brit that's um, been living in the US for a long time. And um, we, I am lucky. I'm very, very lucky because the business has been so successful over the last five years. So when, when a, yeah, have a successful business, the conversations are a hell of a lot easier and people are interested in how you're doing it right? rather than them telling you how you should be doing it. Okay. And, and that's how, I guess, is just thinking back is make sure you control what you can control because um, I can control this business. If it does well, my conversations up the line are much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong. I've had to have hard conversations. I've had a hard conversation said back to me over time, but um, it, yeah, I just, um, we have our own expectations here. We, we make sure we achieve it and um, we report up the line. There's no silver bullet. There's no magic dust about how mm-hmm. to deal with, CEOs, your, your global CEOs with, you know, multiple billion dollar responsibility at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I guess there's not real one answer. Sorry, right. Richard, I can kind of give you on that, but I just deal any relay. I try and build a relationship with the person and, um, yeah, I talk through what I'm doing and, mm-hmm. and be very clear of, you know, I'm a great believer of strategy of what, you know, where you play and how you win. And if you're very clear on that, you can, you have a lot of success. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And so next year then with the hopeful easing of the travel restrictions as we get this vaccine and, and so on, in terms of looking, you were saying we drive our, our growth uh, from a platform of innovation, but uh, you know, do, are you, is the intent that you're going to enter into more, countries across Southeast Asia or, you know, build up the existing businesses you have or, you know, what, what are your plans? Uh, certainly in 2021, it will be a lot more focus on the Australian New Zealand business. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I, I know that for sure. And mm-hmm. um, we believe that with our brands and our, um, our kind of relationships with our customers, there's a lot more we could be doing. Through, through the right acquisitions. Now, the, the joy of working for private equity is they love to invest in, in good businesses. So right. um, part of my job is also looking for acquisition targets mm-hmm. and, and being part of that. So that's where the focus will be, 21 and 22. I, I can see that for sure. Mm-hmm. And how are you finding, uh, again, a new string to your bow, right? Uh, you now you know, sort of a M&A due diligence sort of orientation, um, which is its own unique skill set, isn't it? Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Have a have a damn good finance person is um, the the number one say. And um, what I've done is um, I've just got a, a core kind of leadership team down here of of three people that I trust that mm-hmm. um, that I can help me through that due diligence process because it is a long, painstaking process. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. Um, I've done it a couple of times. And you got to ensure you're asking the right questions, and and looking at it from what are they hiding from us? Uh, to, to be quite frank with you, and um, trying to when you're working through the due diligence process. Because I mean, going back to the conversation earlier, um, you don't learn how to run a successful M and A process <laughs> doing an MBA, right? Correct. Uh, and if it's not part of your everyday um, duties. Oh, well, Scott, you know, now on top of everything else, we want you to go out and, and perform this seminar. How do you get trained to do that? <laughs> yeah, it, um, again, it's a damn good question. You, you're stumping me on some of these questions because uh, I think trying to reflect back is how do I actually do it? And um, I, um, look, I, I do read a lot of books, you know, and I don't look at books of how to do it, but to help me guide me in the right direction right. of how to do it. M&A for dummies. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not that, not that type of stuff. But, um, you know, I, I'm a great believer in, in strategy and M&A is, is also about looking at strategies of how to improve the business. So I guess, you know, I, I believe in my talents and what I can bring and I, I, I also believe in... It's about strategic direction, not transactional direction. Mm. Um, a lot of people can get into transactional type activities that mm-hmm. just keep the day and um, empowering good people to help you. I'm, I'm not afraid to ask for help mm-hmm. um, and, and get people with the right skill set to help you as well. You know, it might be finance, supply chain, engineering, whatever it may be, but uh, they can all help through a, a due diligence process. And so, uh, apart from looking at the sort of the fundamentals of the business, um, to make sure that it's a, a good acquisition in that regard. When you're building a, a business which is based on, you know, a strategy of innovation and, you know, obviously very strong customer service, how does that play into the way that you're considering companies to acquire? And also, how does the type of business that you're looking to acquire play into your forward-looking strategy? I imagine that you'd go, okay, this is our strategy. We're going to really grow Australia and New Zealand in, in the uh, uh, the safety space. And then all of a sudden an opportunity comes on to go, oh, that could take us in a, a different direction. So um, how do you balance all of those various considerations? Yeah, it's, um, I, I think you, you need to start with having a clear vision where you want to take the company and, and you stay within those parameters. It, it's very easy to say, hey, Coca-Cola's up for grabs. Wouldn't it be great to get in the soft drinks and water? Yeah, sure. You know, it's kind of um, it be easy like that. And like I said, we, we're in the, the height safety and worksite security business, so mm-hmm. I, I I keep within those parameters of looking for businesses because when you acquire somebody, understanding the synergies of the business is, is very important, and then that, that's a key thing that due diligence um, looks at in any business. Because what we don't believe in is just a what we call a bolt-on. We don't want to say, oh, we'll just acquire the business, we'll just bolt it on and, and mm. keep it all the same and run it as its own entity. We don't look at it like that. Um, we look at how it can complement our business, complement our brands, and, and how we can help further uh, expand our people to help benefit that business. 
Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's some of the key criteria we, we look at. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be more broadly within site safety than the, the niche that you're currently playing in. Oh, definitely. Yes, yes, yes. Look, I'm not interested in buying another ladder company, that's for sure, because, sure. you know, we, we're already the number one ladder brand in Australia and New Zealand, and um, it's not a thing. I think it's um, exploring within those parameters of site safety of what else mm-hmm. we can do. So mm-hmm. uh, that's how fall protection started. It was another greenfield operation. We didn't acquire anyone for Australia mm-hmm. because we knew we had a great brand that people trusted were working at heights, so mm-hmm. it's a natural progression. Fair enough. And I, looking at your LinkedIn profile, I see that you've been in the, this managing director role now for three years. Mm. So a, as a managing director, what are the aspects of the job that you love and what are the aspects of the job that you really would rather not do? <laughs> Look, I, I really, I, I think over the last, even before Made MD, when I was the GM of, of Australia and New Zealand, that I've really become a student of strategy and understanding mm-hmm. strategy. I, I think that, uh, you know, e- even doing MBAs and things like that, you know, strategy can be this thing. What really is strategy? You know, everyone has a different opinion and things like that. But it, when you break it down, it can be quite simple. So I enjoy um, building strategies for, to help business grow or turn them around. That's, that's one thing I love. And a lot of my time is on that. And, Sometimes when you're looking at M&A, it's businesses in distress as well. So that's kind of part of the, the process. Um, I enjoy working with people and helping them grow. Sometimes part of my job is helping them see what they can't see and telling them sometimes what they, what they don't want to hear to help them grow. And you have good relationships with your people. You can have those conversations with them and, and they're quite positive and it helps the business grow. So there, there's some of the things I, I love. Um Budgeting each year is just a painstakingly two or three month <laughs> process. That it's a lot of late nights, a lot of drinking coffee, and um, it's that's one thing I, I don't love. And sometimes I think we probably spend a little bit of time on crunching spreadsheets to understand where we're heading, rather than yeah. having a true strategy and mm. kind of um, you know placing some bets at where we want to go and and kind of driving our business that way. But uh, anyway, I'm I'm kind of bound by it the private equity group and how they want to do it then because everyone knows they're run by finance people, right? And they, they kind of love spreadsheets. So, yeah, and you go, wow, we've surprisingly had this huge uptick in business. It's yeah, been completely yeah. unexplained. They go, excellent. We'll have yeah. more of that next year. Thank you. That's right. That's right. But so your success just makes the goalposts harder and harder to achieve. It does. The, the expectation just goes up and up. Right. But, um, you know, I, I tell our people, yes, our expectations go high, but it's a credit to us as a team of what we've achieved. And mm-hmm. we need to recognise that and reflect on that for a second. But um, I, I also like talking with customers. I'm still quite close with our customers group. I don't lose that contact. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, part of my job is always understanding what our customers want and need and um, ensuring that we're, that we're giving them every opportunity for them to be successful as well. Mm-hmm. So. So would you say that, you know, because you said strategy is your core focus and sticking to your strategy and not getting distracted by shiny new toys in terms of acquisitions and so on, how clear is your vision for where the business will be, say, in five years' time? Is it really clear or is it just you've got a bit of an idea? I would say it's 70% clear. I've actually presented that to the board of where uh, a five-year plan, where I want to take this company. Mm -hmm. And um, 
they've uh, it's always a bit of give and take. They kind of sent some stuff back of like maybe you should look at this and stuff. But I think at a high level, I'm I'm quite clear of where we want to take this company to mm-hmm. to, to be successful in our in our space. And uh, what about in terms of your own career? Are you equally, you know, clear for yourself in terms of uh, where you'd like to see your role either within Wernico or more broadly in, say, five years' time? Yeah, this is the most I've ever worked. This nine-year tenure today is the most I've ever worked for any company Mm -hmm. my whole life. It's um, And I only put that down to that it, it just keeps challenging me and keeps rewarding me that 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 I'm happy with with my progression mm-hmm. uh, I think over the next certainly over the next three years there's, there's a lot of things going on that that excites me about this place to stay here but um, beyond that I, I want there's this burning thing in my head about um, uh, probably getting a more getting into a company that's more Australian based that does global businesses rather than US or Europe based. Um, I don't know why it's just burning in me that, and and maybe it's that just to have more, yeah, be able to take on more and and kind of progress to that, that bigger role. So, yeah. And also to feel that you're sitting in the ultimate place of decision. Yeah. 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 I think reflection is is a good thing. I sometimes get a bit of time to reflect back on your career and where you want to go and, um, I work, you know, you and I have the odd chat and I'm, I'm in the Champions Forum and I, I love that. And um, I think, yeah, what I get out of those sort of things is trying to understand where I want to go and, and mm-hmm. having that big picture in your head as well. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned to me earlier, you're also on the board of a uh, um, of an independent or a private school. Mm, yeah, 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 in Brisbane. So I just help them out. My kids obviously attend the school and mm-hmm. um, a few years ago, just going through a bit of a difficult time and the principal sent out an email just saying, hey, we've got a, lots going on and we'd like someone with a bit of business knack to come in and just help guide us in the right direction. So I've been in that for three years now and right. the school's doing quite well now. Yeah. Isn't that another good, uh, another good kind of thing where I guess I've helped along the way. So, yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I think uh, to have a, a board role on a not-for-profit where you've got a heart connection Obviously, yeah. you do. Your kids go to that school, but yeah. whether it's you know sick animals or indigenous yeah, yeah, education, right. it it gives a very different perspective uh, because you are you are again sitting in the strategy and governance space, but not in the operational delivery space. Um, I, I strongly encourage uh, senior executives to do that. Um, do you think you will eventually end up in a portfolio career, sitting on a number of boards, or does that not really interest you? It does actually. It, it actually really interests me. Right. Um, and I've often thought I have applied for a couple other board roles in in Brisbane, but yeah. I'm glad I probably didn't get them in reflection now with the workload I've got yeah. off for the next twelve months. But um, that is something that uh, I'm working towards. You know, I've done the AICD course and all this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. but um, and, and getting various experiences. But that's something that. Um, I actually enjoy it. It's so later on in my career, I can see myself doing more of that for sure. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think a lot of people try and pursue that too early, you know. Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, it's a hard way to make a living and uh, it's um, a lot of responsibility. And if you're mm. in a great job and you're in, being paid well and you've got plenty of petrol in the tank, you know, remaining focused on your executive career until you're, you know, potentially in your 60s is probably 
the right thing to do. But um, uh, certainly at this point in my life, 52 years old, owning my own business, uh, I have no time to be on boards at all. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to recruit them. But not to I know. Your, um, your business is doing quite well at the minute too. I, I oh, see, no, so. we've, we've been flying. It's been a fantastic. Uh, coronavirus has been fantastic for us because uh, it's given us immediate geographic um, reach. You know, I've, we've got clients now that we've recruited multiple roles for. We've never met the client. We've never met a candidate. You know, the client's in Sydney, the role's in Perth. Um, and LinkedIn, uh, as Zoom, I should say, has uh, been a godsend for our business. Uh, yeah. I, I, um, I thoroughly enjoy the fact that I'm sitting here in a T-shirt, you know, I yeah. chatted to you yeah. on Zoom. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, uh, I hope it never goes back to, oh, let's go and have a coffee and, yeah, you know, yeah. two hours of a coffee, you have two meetings a day instead of 15 meetings a day. So, exactly. and, and Scott, we've spoken a lot about uh, business, but before we wrap it up, tell us uh, what do you like to do when you're not at work? What keeps uh, you motivated and, and uh, keeps the petrol tank full? Yeah, I'm, I'm married with uh, three, I guess, still reasonably young kids, a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and an 11-year-old. Right. And um, two younger boys are heavily into love playing soccer down at mm-hmm. uh, a little shout-out to Logan Lightning um, Soccer Club down there. Right. And, um, great, great club for juniors to come through. So a lot of my weekends, believe it or not, one plays on Saturday, one plays on Sunday. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm anywhere from Cleandra to the Gold Coast yeah. every Saturday or Sunday. At least it's not cricket, huh? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, I, I enjoy watching them um, be part of it and enjoy the people at the club. It's become quite a social thing for us. Um, my daughter's into basketball, but my wife's more heavily involved in that because we, we just you kind of got to just yeah, separate sure. a little bit to help each other out. But I still love to play golf. I just don't have mm-hmm. time. I play in corporate days now and right. uh, everyone gives me a corporate invitation. I'm usually there in a flash if I can fit it in. <laughs> during the week so because i do and eventually i will get back to playing golf and hopefully my kids might get a little bit of interest when they get a little bit older and play and be something we can play on down the track but um my wife and i love to ski and we have skied overseas every year for the last four or five years in various places but of course that's kibosh now um we even had a holiday in in august down to perisher but they got kiboshed because of covid but so living in brisbane there's not too many ski hills that we can just quickly go to given we're four days away from christmas are you having a break or are you working through yes um finishing up uh, christmas eve and then i'll have to the 11th off but i love going to calandra we've got a unit up there at king's beach a beautiful part of the world and uh that'll be my downtime for this year i'll I'll, I'll be up there the week after you come back Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a gorgeous place, isn't it? It just really is. Well, Scott, look, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I'm sure you've got plenty to do. Uh, Yes, thank you, Richard. So uh, have a a fantastic break, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Yes, thank you, Richard. Cheers. Okay. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Arate Podcast with Richard Treeks. For show notes and other resources, please visit aratepodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes so you can continue your own journey towards realizing your full potential as a senior executive. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.